we know. Uh, John here has been talking a lot about things that we know, things that we should know, things that we must know, things that we can know. And so we're going to look a little bit more at this. Uh, but first of all, I want to read verses 13 down through 21 to see kind of where we're going. And uh, then we'll jump right in. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we know and believe that the love of God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth, love his brother also. Now this is coming off on the point where uh, just the section before and throughout this chapter, and, and it's been leading up to how we are called to not just know the love God has for us, but as well to express this love. This has been kind of sprinkled throughout this letter so far that John has been writing. And if we look back in just the previous couple of verses before verse 13, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, essentially, verses 13 down through 21 is sort of the outflow of those couple of verses. It is sort of showing us how our love is perfected, meaning it is a perfecting work. It is a continual work. It is a growing work, a maturing work a completing work that one day our love will be perfected and come to completion. But furthermore, it is as well showing us this great truth that John has built so much of his doctrine off of because it is what Jesus taught him and the other disciples. It is this, that um, no man has seen God at any time, but that uh, we are not only called to love one another, but that um, God dwelleth in us. And here's the key, abiding in Christ as he abides in us. John uh, deals with this in his gospel in John 15 and 17. We'll, we'll look a little bit later if we get the chance. But here's, here's what we're dealing with. Today's average Christian does not know what it means to abide in Christ. We know what it means to come to church, right? We know what it means to do church and to, to be churchy, right? We've got the whole churchy thing down, right? But to abide in Christ, that's the goal of being a Christian. That's what real Christianity really looks like. It is to not just know that he is in us, but that we are in him. And our whole life flows out of that knowledge. And so this is why John has spent so much time throughout this letter. This is why John and his gospel talk so much about what Jesus had taught them, is that we can know that God is not only in us, but that we are in him. There's security in that. There's provision in that. There's protection in that. There is um, a whole multitude of benefits for us to know not only that we are in Him, but that He is in us, and to abide in such, to abide in the Lord. That is truly where our fruit will come from. We do not have fruit on our own outside of that, and, and, but if we do have fruit, it's certainly going to rot pretty quick, right? Think about this. If we do anything with our hands, it's not going to last forever. We can build things. We can make things. We can even attempt spiritual things with our own strength, but they will not last. What lasts is the fruit that comes from abiding in the Lord. Now, here's how we know about the abiding of the Lord. 
not just him and us, but us and him, is this. He says in verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of the Spirit. First, the things that we know is that we have the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, it's been said, and it's often used as cliche, that if something or someone as big as God moves into your heart, you're going to know, right? It sounds cliche. It sounds preachery, right? It's one of those things that gets said a lot. But there's a whole lot of truth to it. You are going to know if you are in Christ or if you are not. There doesn't have to be a whole lot of investigation in this. The Spirit, as we'll see, uh, bears witness with our spirit, is what we'll see over in Romans. But look at this. We've got to know. And John has given us all these different assurances and a test of assurance and tests of fruit and faith throughout this letter. But he says that we can know, not only that we can know, but that we should know and we must know. And even to this degree, if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you will know. This is the assurance of our salvation. This is the affirmation of it. This is what bears the fruit of our sanctification and allows us to grow. It is not just that we come to church, right? You, you, can, you can grow more moral, per se. You can grow maybe more knowledgeable about things, but you will only grow deeper in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it is a gift. Jesus said, I'm going to give you Spirit. I'm going to give you the Comforter. When I leave, you're better off because the Holy Spirit of God will indwell you. Jackman, he writes this, The greatest gift of the ascended Christ to His church on earth is the Holy Spirit, who is Himself the source of all the other gifts and graces which we need in order to live consistently as God's children in this world. Now put that quote there for a reason because this really helps us to understand sort of the gravity and the effect of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to be a loving Christian? All right, okay, the rest of you. There we go. We're popping up now. We're, we're starting to move now this morning. We're feeling loose and free. All right. How many of you want to be a gracious Christian? Okay, all right. We're moving a little faster now. Here we go. Right. Simon says, right now, I'm just kidding. Now, think about this. We want to be loving. We want to be gracious. We want to be forgiving. We want to be all these things. So how do we get that? Only, only through the Holy Spirit. If you and I try to be forgiving outside of the Spirit of, of God, well, what do we do? We forgive according to our own standards. We only forgive certain sins. We only forgive certain people. And oftentimes we cling on to what we think is right and what we think is just and fair, not to what God says. How about this? We all said, hey, we want to be loving. We want to be gracious. Well, how do we get to be and do those things? How do we get to be loving? How do we grow more loving? How do we show grace? How do we become more gracious? It is through the dependence and reliance and abiding in the Spirit of God. I want you to know, every pastor, we want to love our people. We want to love the people of God. We want to love what God has called us to do. The only way that I can do it is if I'm abiding in the Holy Spirit. Outside of it, you know what happens? I get frustrated. I get irritable. Right? And you're saying, I can't believe you would do such. I do. I'm just like you. Because you know what? When you do things outside of the Spirit, what do you find? I'm frustrated easy. Right? I, I'm short-tempered. I, I'm a little ill. I'm a little less gracious. I'm a little less loving. I'm a little less forgiving. I'm a little less all these fruits of the Spirit. 
And the reason why I'm lacking in fruits of the Spirit is because I'm not depending upon the Holy Spirit. We must know that the moment that you are born again, the Holy Spirit of God immediately takes up residence inside of you. You are baptized by the Spirit, if you will. You immediately. And you don't have to wait for any other sign, gifts, or anything else to come after that to give you assurance of salvation. The Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit then will lead, guide, comfort. Uh, He will be your corrector. He will be your counselor. He will be all of these things that the Bible tells us He is. And by the way, He is not an it. We often hear the Holy Spirit referred to as sort of just this sort of mystical force, right? This isn't Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but the Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the triune God. He is God. It is God indwelling you. Not because there's anything special about us or that He was already there or I've always known Him, but rather because the moment that the Holy Spirit, by the way, who even before we were saved was the one who convicted us of sin and showed us Christ and opened up our blinded eyes that we would repent and trust Jesus, and then, boom, takes up residence inside of us, seals us, and now uh, gives us life, this quickening agent of our life, not just of regeneration, but of our sanctification. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us not just to um, see Christ to be born again, but even more so to continue to see Jesus so that we would continue to grow and to abide in Him. Every believer is told that we are in God, but God is also now in us. Now, I want to make a little note and distinction here. There's a very popular theology today that is taught in a lot of circles and things and a lot of modern evangelicalism. And and, and to help you kind of understand what that means is that is the big, broad, overarching term of those who would maybe put on a, on a poll, I'm a Christian, right? Okay? They believe, you know, I, I believe Jesus died, rose again, right? That sort of thing. And, and some of them, you know, they got a whole lot of, whole big, broad term there, okay? Nevertheless, there's a very popular theology that's getting taught today. It's sort of this spark of God theology. It's this idea that even before we were saved, that we were already like little gods ourselves, that we had a little bit of God already in us. Um, and, and that the Holy Spirit, His gifting is more of just revealing what was already there about us. That it's sort of showing off now that we already were, and we already had this spark of God in us. And this is a dangerous theology. All right, The only thing that we had in us before the Holy Spirit came in is wretchedness, is, is sin. Right? We didn't already have God in us. That's why God needed to come into us. Right? We were separated from God, as a matter of fact. And so this is important because this is what's getting taught in, in many of the modern books and teaching and, and, and songs and, and things. And it's not just because it's new. right? This does not mean that we should be afraid of anything that's new and less than 50 years old. And by the way, many of our hymns and things are still less than 60 years old. We praise God for, for modern things because the church continues to move on in, in a modern age and be used of God. Nevertheless, we have to be careful because what is so popular today is to make us seem not as sinful as we actually were before Christ. And it is to make us go, well, you know, we had mistakes or we messed up some, but we were already gods on the inside, and it's just that the Holy Spirit now sort of sparks it. Now we can show that. It's baloney is what it is. And even with, with folks like, like Mormons who believe that they will become their own God 
of their own planet and have their own little babies who then too can do the same thing. These are dangerous theologies that are taught today and accepted so widely because, let's be honest, it sounds pretty nice, don't it? I'm already, I'm like, a, I'm like Hercules. I'm part God. I'm part, right? Couldn't be further from the truth. It's the Holy Spirit who shows us this. Now, the difference between an antichrist and a Christian is the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the difference maker there. That, that's the difference maker. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to salvation, who corrects us of our sin, who comforts us, who guides us, who counsels us, who teaches us to all of these wonderful things. But to those that John had said or were antichrists who have left, it is because they did not have God dwelling in them at all, because they were not truly dwelling in Him. You will not have someone dwelling in God, but God not dwelling in them. And, and by the way, you will also not have God dwelling in somebody and that person not doing the same. So if we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, what should we be doing? Clinging to the truth of God's Word. Clinging and abiding in Him. All of us should be desiring to be fruitful Christians. We've all raised our hands and said so, right? Unless you were just going and, well, the people in the front are raising their hand. I better raise my hand too, right? I, I don't know. But we know this, is that we would all say we want to be successful Christians. We want to live for the Lord. And its foundation is this indwelling Holy Spirit of God. It is in Him. Now, this as well fulfills and reiterates the emphasis of abiding found in Jesus' teaching and prayer. Um, just for sake of time today, I won't, won't cover, but you can go look in John 15. The last few things that Jesus is teaching is no longer about kingdom and things before he goes to be crucified. It is about the coming Holy Spirit. It is about what's about to take place. I'm about to be delivered to the hands of sinners and go die and be raised again the third day. And they're like, don't know what that means. Just keep going. Tell us the next thing, right? And he keeps teaching. And then he begins to tell them, literally the same night that he's betrayed, about this coming Holy Spirit. That the Comforter will come. And that you must abide in me. Abide. This idea of like, like branches, need, branches don't survive without the tree, right? And the tree needs the roots. The whole system depends on this. Abiding in him. Now then John 17, which is truly the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is praying there in the garden and He prays for His people to abide in Him, to be filled of the Spirit, to rely on the Spirit, to be united in the Spirit, to have these things that are truly only found in the indwelling Holy Spirit. And you know something? I want you to know this as well. We hear a lot about having meetings that are Spirit-filled meetings and Spirit-filled preaching. And that's great and that's fine and well and we need that. But if you want a Spirit-filled church, now here's some more class participation. Who wants a Spirit-filled church? Okay, Who wants a Spirit-led church? Right? I don't even want a pastoral-led church. I want a Spirit-led church. All right? Is that okay? I hope so. If we want those things, you know what we need? We need to be Spirit-led and Spirit-filled Christians. We must not be waiting for some sort of magical thing just to take place because we showed up and then we have a, another Pentecost. Would it be great? Sure. I would love to see 3,000 saved on a day. I'd love to see the whole works. But guess what? You know what happened after Pentecost? The believers were filled, sealed by the Spirit of God, 
and they did the little things. They abide or abode in, in Christ. They abode in the teaching. They abide with one another. And we each have the responsibility to depend upon the Spirit of God. And furthermore, Thatcher writes, presumably it is the Spirit's presence that motivates believers to exhibit godly love. When believers allow the Spirit to influence them in this way, they turn, uh, they in turn abide or remain in God in the sense that they obey His commands. Obedient love proves then that God's Spirit is present in us, which in turn separates believers from Antichrist. So as we said earlier, we want to be more loving Christians. Well, where will it start? Well, the motivation and the foundation of it is the indwelling Holy Spirit. The only way that you can know what true love is is in Christ. The only way that you can have true love for one another is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can have Spirit-filled uh, services and Spirit-filled unity and fellowship together and all these things that we've got banners about is through the Holy Spirit. Now, in this context of dealing with this, he's been talking about loving your brother, and he's dealt with it pretty much chapter after chapter, talking about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to share and to know the love of God, and especially that with brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're going to love one another, it's going to be because, not just because that we can maybe overlook some faults or some personalities, but it's going to be because I have the same Holy Spirit that the person across the pew or the aisle has if they are in Christ. That's where our commonality lies. It is being in Christ and Christ in us. And furthermore, Romans 8.16 tells us this, and this gives us assurance as well. And this is really some of the greatest fruit of having the Holy Spirit is the assurance that He gives to us. Continuing to point us to, to Christ. Continuing us to... Uh, continue to, uh, to point us to, to God's Word and to have us um, reliant upon the truth of who God is. Romans 8.16 tells us, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That we are. means that I know, as you just talked about. Hereby know we. And how many times so far in this letter he's been saying, and we know, we know, we know, we know. And by the way, this is not just a knowledge about our mind, but this is a knowledge of the heart. That is, a, that is a, a total knowledge of all that you are that I know, not just about the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not able just to tell you in my mind, well, He does X, Y, and Z. But I can tell you that He does it for me. It is the head and the heart and the hands that are to be moved and empowered by the Spirit of God and that this same Spirit that bears witness with our spirit. Notice, the Spirit, capitalized, bears witness with our spirit. It is the idea of all that we are. Right? All that, all that we are. And here it is that we are the children of God. We're no longer the children of the devil. We're no longer the children of this world. We've been bought and paid for. We've been redeemed and adopted. We are now in the Lord and in His family. And therefore, those others who have done the same and who are now in Him, you know what they are? They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether they treat you right, whether you treat them right, whether they believe every single minute detail of practice the same way that you do, 
The great thing about heaven that I'm looking forward to is the fact that those who have been saved and did not have everything maybe exactly right or maybe that we didn't always agree with, we still will one day. It might not be here, but nevertheless, there can still be unity here. And it's only going to be found through this same abiding spirit that we are the children of God. And if you and I begin to look at each other and realize that, well, you know something, if they're in Christ, they're a child of God too, and I'm a child of God, so therefore, what do parents often say to kids? They say a lot of things, don't they? But they often look at their kids and say, get along. Right? Why? Because I like to fight. And I was an only child, so I only had myself to fight with. And I, I always won. I took some lumps, but I always won, right? Think about this, though. As spiritual children of God in a church like ours that is attempting to move forward for God and to be used of God as things are starting up, what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be reminded as we look at one another, you know something? They're on my team. We're to strive together. Not against each other, not strive together, but strive together. Arm in arm. The same mind, the same goal, the same focus, which only through the Holy Spirit can we see. Now then we find this. He then says, Hereby we know that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verses 13 and 14 are one of the most beautiful, wonderful truths that teaches us about the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is not just some high and lofty doctrine that is used for theologians. And by the way, if you are saved, you know what you are to be? A theologian. Now, this doesn't mean you have to have some master's and doctorate degree and have to go to school or seminary. But you know what this does mean? You know what it simply means to, to, to just breaking down the word theologian? It is to study God. It's to know Him. So if you're in Christ, what does that mean? means you know Him. And as John has told us, and we know, right? I have assurance of that. But I want to know more, right? There used to be a song, I ain't heard it forever, and I don't even know all the words. I want to know more about my Jesus. I want to know more about my Lord. Right? We should want to know more. Don't leave the study of God up to people who have little uh, letters behind their name that make them think they're something. The Bible is for you to know God and to grow in God and to do so together. So the Trinity is not just some sort of high lofty thing where we just blindly go, well, I know what the Word means, I, I, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but that's as, as far as i got to get. John wants us to know more. And there's some beautiful truth here. As one commentator writes about this passage in these verses 13 and 14, he says, from the truth that God has given us His Spirit, verse 13, John moves to the fact that God has sent his Son, verse 14, the Trinitarian reference is plain, since it is the Father who sent His Son into the world, the Savior, who also sent His Spirit into our hearts as witness. This is a beautiful truth. That all three make up the Godhead, the three in one, the thrice holy triune God, all of which are eternal. Jesus was not just, He was not a created being, but rather He was the Creator. The Holy Spirit did not just come by the way in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit was there long before even Genesis. As we talked about in Genesis uh, 1, verse 2, brooding over the waters and the deep. 
So we see that the, our God has always been this way. And, and God is not one God in the Old Testament and one God in the New Testament. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we can trust and rely and depend upon this. Now turn with me, hold your place there, and turn with me back to Galatians for just a moment for a couple of verses. Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 6. All right. Hopefully this will help you out a little bit with, with the Trinity here and what we see John talking about. John has seen the act of the Trinity. Jesus' baptism, that Father, Son, Spirit descending, right? We've seen this, the Trinity at creation. We've seen the Trinity all throughout the Bible because this book is about our triune Lord and is His revelation to us so that we might know Him. Now, Galatians 4, verse number 4 tells us, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. It's the idea of where we get begotten from. right? He's sent forth from. It is not just that He's a Son and therefore subservient and, um, or that He was not eternal. right? Jesus is eternal. Co-equal with the Father. The same as the Holy Spirit. While all three are dis, uh, not the same, they are distinct in their personhood, yet they all act as one. The Holy Spirit doesn't just do what He wants to do. Jesus didn't just do what He wanted to do. What did Jesus say while He was on the earth? I do the will of my Father. What does the Holy Spirit do? Teaches us and draws us to Christ and unites us in Christ. Now, verse 4. God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because of your sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Once more we see in these few verses the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Never working independently, but working together to accomplish one goal, and that is to redeem Mankind to redeem fallen man. And even more so to this degree that all three are not just active in creation. All three are not just active in Jesus' ministry and life and in the life of the apostles and in the church. But all three are perfectly active at your salvation and your sanctification, meaning all throughout the rest of your life. As well, one day, to be glorified. Now, we find that all of God's work is Trinitarian. And this is important. And I'm going to address this in just a moment. The Trinity is not just something that we can just tag along. The Trinity and the doctrine of such is a fundamental doctrine. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest issues that John would be facing in the early church and what he faced is much of what we're facing today is a denial of the Trinity. There are those today who teach that, well, there's God and then Jesus was a created being or that He only came into existence and, and that the Holy Spirit was only for a certain time and for certain people or this and that. To deny the Trinity as is revealed to us in the Bible is to not know God. And the Antichrists of John's day were denying. Because what were they saying? 
You remember, we had the one crowd that said that Jesus was in the flesh, but He wasn't God. That's heresy. Can't be saved in such a manner. And furthermore, it denies the Trinity. Then you had the other side that said, well, He's sort of a spirit, but He never came in the flesh. Well, that's also to deny the Trinity. It's also to not have salvation. So we see this important need. And what is happening today is we have many popular teachers today who you can find on your average Christian bookstore shelf or online and things that are promoted. They have large churches and organizations. And yet, they still have false views of the Trinity. And this is a key fundamental doctrine of the faith because it allows us to truly know who God is because it is who God is. It always has been and it always will be. To help put it a little bit more into perspective, Jackman writes, Note again how John compresses so much of what we have already learned into one short sentence. Resolutely, he hammers the nails into the coffin of Gnosticism again and again. The preexistent Son was sent by the Father into the world. He came to be its Savior by His real human death on the cross. You can't deny it. All right? He says these are the facts of the matter. The witness of the Spirit and the apostolic testimony belong together, for there can be no separation between the Spirit and the Word. Let me pause there. Did anybody before you trusted Jesus ever say, well, I, I know the Bible is important, but I just can't understand it. I just don't know what it's talking about. You know why you couldn't? Because you didn't have the Spirit of God. Now, does that mean that after you get saved that you're going to understand every single thing and be a, a walking a commentary? No, it'd be nice. I wish I knew everything. But we can't. We have the living Word of God as well as the living Word inside of us. Indwelling us. The Spirit is constantly teaching and revealing and things, but guess what? I want you to know the Holy Spirit is never going to teach you anything outside of the Bible. And the Bible, if you want to understand it, is only going to be found through the work of the Spirit. This is why it's not just important to pray and then read your Bible, but to pray for reading your Bible, to have the desire, to, to gain instruction, to gain wisdom, to gain knowledge. This is why as well the Holy Spirit has granted to us in days like this, we have countless, countless tools and resources to know God's Word better. And one thing that I absolutely love, is I love it not just when someone might come and ask a question because they trust me and what they want to get an answer, but I love it even more when someone comes and say, Pastor, I've got to share with you what the Lord taught me this week. It's like a light bulb went off. It's like it's clear. Look, I was reading, and then, bam, there it was. And it makes sense now. And that's good stuff. You know why? Because it means that this living book is now being made alive in your spirit. It's being made alive in your life. And that you're growing and knowing God more. That should be the goal, isn't it? But the only way is by understanding. The Spirit is not working outside of He's going to teach us the Bible. He's going to point us to Scripture. But the Bible must be dependent. And you and I, as we read and study the Bible, must as well be dependent on that same Holy Spirit. Because after all, it is the same Holy Spirit who indwelt those men 
who God used to write, to preserve this book for us. Furthermore, he writes, the one who wrote the word inspiring its human authors uses his specially designed tool to bring us to life and to build us up in the faith. The vindication of the reality of the Spirit's work in our lives is seen in commitment to the revelation of God in the Scriptures. Holy cow, I didn't know what time it was. Someone's got to throw something at me. All right. This is a good, good, good place to stop anyways. What we find is this. How do I know about the Trinity? Bible. How do I know about the work of the Holy Spirit in my life as a believer? The Bible. How do I know about what Jesus has done for me? The Bible. How do I know God's love for me? Jesus loves me. This I know for the, the Bible tells me so. It is so simple. And yes, it sounds so simple. And yet many of us miss it by, by a mile. Because we want something that is based on emotions or how we feel. And because our emotions and our feelings go up and down and up and down just throughout a morning or a day. But the Spirit stays the same. Bringing us conviction and comfort and correction and teaching, guidance, counsel. So what we need to understand is this. It's that God has given us His Spirit so that we might know Him through His Word. God has revealed Himself to us so that we might know Him. So that we might love Him. So that we in turn then might know and love one another. May our hearts find contentment and assurance in the Spirit of God but as well, may it drive us to have unity together that we might love one another as Christ has called us to. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Grateful for your word, for your, for your spirit, Lord, that speaks to us, that corrects us and counsels us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning as we are preparing our hearts now for the worship service. God, that we would be filled by your spirit, led by your spirit, and God, that everything that we would do would glorify and honor you. Lord, I pray that your word would be open and um, proclaimed, and God, that you would accomplish a work in hearts that only you were able to do. We love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.